We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to a Wednesday edition of the Rotowire NBA podcast. Nick Whalen here, as always, with Alex Marutha. We are sponsored by WinBet. Check out winbet.com, the presenting sponsor of all Rotowire fantasy podcasts this season. Uh, check out winbet.com for all of your sports wagering needs. Alex, we have some news to get to at the top. Uh, we're going to play a- another round of Who Would You Rather Draft? a little later on. Um, but we, we have some, some Ben Simmons news, some Zion Williamson news, uh, some Minnesota Timberwolves news. Uh, I, I would posit right away that none of this is exactly positive uh, for, for any of the players <laughs> involved. This is like one of the more negative news days I can remember for a while, especially like in the middle of this. Like this is usually the point in the season where like everyone's hopes are really high. You get some really strong, like positive news, you know, player X has put on 20 pounds of pure muscle and, um, the opposite is happening right now, where it's just there are three franchises that are kind of uh, borderline, you know, dealing with some dysfunction. The Sixers are in the best position of those three, um, even if they end up having to take like 75 cents on the dollar for Ben Simmons, which so far they have basically been trying to get like a dollar fifty uh, on the dollar for Simmons. If that makes sense, like they've tried to go the other way. Um, all indications are that they, they will not be accepting anything less than what they view as fair value or, or maybe even like better value. But eventually that that's probably going to wear down. Um, but let's start with Ben Simmons. Well, I wouldn't exactly say this was breaking news and this came out uh, on Tuesday. But Simmons camp at this point is essentially prepared to enter a full on holdout uh, if he is not traded before training camp and, and training camp opens in less than a week. So. At this point, the expectation is that Ben Simmons will not be in Philly. Um, There's been mixed messaging from the Sixers, mixed messaging from Joel Embiid, Doc Rivers. Uh, They've kind of tried to smooth things over or at least walk back some of the comments that they made 
uh, back in, in May and June, you know, during the NBA playoffs when all this kind of really started to, to become a, a dumpster fire. But at, at this point, I think Simmons is resigned to the fact that he'll be playing somewhere else. And no matter what Rivers or Embiid or the front office or presidents, whoever, no matter what anybody says, I, I just don't think that they can bring Simmons back at this point. And, and I tweeted this earlier this week, like it's got to the point that whenever Simmons comes back to Philly in another uniform and maybe he'll do the Kyrie and just sit out every game against his former team, <laughs> whenever that happens, it's, it's setting up to be an all time booing scenario. I, I don't know if it'll reach LeBron back in Cleveland in 2010, but I mean, Philly fans have completely turned on Simmons at this point. Yeah, it's, you're right. It's not going to be like LeBron. However, the city of Philly is a more impassioned fan base than Cleveland. It's just that obviously exactly. LeBron is a better player. So it could end up, you know, the two the two factors could end up being uh, relatively close with the outcome. I, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I think his first game back would be, um, you know, I, I, I it, it's interesting to go back. I, I watched that LeBron return. I watched it at some point last year. And it was kind of like if people who haven't seen it or haven't seen it in a while should go on YouTube and watch it. It was just complete chaos. Um, pretty sure it was like tons of extra security in the building. No, it could be like that for Simmons. But yeah, you're right. It's just, you know, his trade value is so hard to evaluate because, you know, you're we're talking about like, do you take 75 cents on the dollar for him? Is Maury trying to get a hundred, uh, you know, a dollar fifty for him? I, it's hard to, I think, evaluate what Simmons' true value actually is. You know, what's his true value in a situation that's perfectly set up for him? And so, you know, is his value right now inherently less than the dollar that it should be? That's a whole different discussion. But um, yeah, the holdout is tough. You know, Philly has the personnel to maybe, you know, I mean, they should at least be over five hundred with just Embiid there. Yeah. But um, you want to avoid that as much as possible. Well, I think there's somewhat of an unknown, too, with if you go into the season without Ben Simmons. And, and at this point, you know, if he's holding out, you haven't traded for him and gotten anything back to, to replace him in some way that, you know, your defense could potentially fall off a cliff. Like you still have yeah. an elite defensive center, of course, in Embiid. But, you know, one of the things that makes Simmons so valuable or at least made him so valuable before all of this started was. I mean, he, he was, for the most part, pretty healthy, you know, d- despite missing, you know, his entire true rookie year. He played 81 games the next season, 79, um, then 57 and 58 in, in abbreviated, you know, COVID seasons. Um, you know, we haven't really seen the Sixers have to play a long stretch without him. And I, I think there is a, you know, for as, for as negatively as things turned out this past season, I don't think anybody is is arguing that the Sixers, like just removing Ben Simmons from the team, they're probably not as good. They're certainly not better without him. Now, they could be better if they trade for him and bring in, you know, CJ McCollum or Jaron Fox or whatever name you want to throw out. Like, it, it's possible that you could put a better fit around Embiid, but simply removing him from the situation doesn't make Philly a better team. So there is a sense of urgency there. Um, you know, they, they can, like you said, they can still be a safe playoff team without him, but they don't want to go the entire year not trading Ben Simmons. Like that's that's a you know an outcome that's certainly not going to happen. There there's reason for for both sides to try to get this done, especially if it's if it's true that Simmons will not go back there. Uh, and again, whether whether he says it or not, I just don't. I, I think the re- the relationship you know publicly is just it's it's to a point where it's irreparable, right? Where it would just it would not be worth the circus of even trying to bring him back. And you know it's been a while since we've 
we've had a new like trade rumor surrounding Simmons. Yeah, everybody everybody knows the situation, but you know, normally when when these situations occur, they tend to work themselves out pretty quickly. You know, think James Harden, where you know the Rockets were prepared to go into a standoff, and then a week later he's on the Nets. You know, more often than not, right. these teams cave to the public pressure, and eventually I think Philly's going to have to do that. But there's just there's just so many factors here, um, including the unique fit of Ben Simmons. Um, you know, there's certain teams that could maybe trade for him, but they look at the rest of their roster and say, well, are we really willing to defend everything to to accommodate this guy? Um, I think it's interesting if you look at I think it was Bet MGM uh, threw out some odds on on where Simmons plays his first regular season game next season. The Timberwolves, unsurprisingly, the favorites at, at plus 400. You have the Rockets, the Kings, the Spurs, the Warriors, the Raptors, the Trailblazers, the Thunder, the Wizards and the Cavaliers. Uh, those are the the top 10 favorites. Uh, the Sixers, I don't see on this list, so they just must not be included here. Um, I, on the surface, I, I still feel like Minnesota probably makes the most sense just because Minnesota's desperate. You know, they they are the type of franchise that would make a move like this. They just fired their GM like an hour ago. Um, <laughs> there, there's not a ton of strong leadership in place there. Um, but at the same time, do they have the assets that that Philly wants uh, in an MB trade, like or, or an MB trade, a Simmons trade? Are they interested yeah. In Malik Beasley, are they interested in D'Angelo Russell, um, assuming Towns and Edwards are off the table? I think, um, you know, if, I I don't know, because if you are Philly and you've you know you've decided to trade for Simmons and you're taking the package that everyone's kind of throwing out of, like you mentioned, D'Angelo Russell, and Malik Beasley, you know, I, depending on how you feel about Tobias Harris, then you know either D'Angelo Russell or Tobias Harris is your second best player. And I know Embiid's an MVP caliber player, so he can carry a team really far. But kind of in the modern NBA, or at least in the current landscape of the NBA, where you have, you know, the Nets um, and the Lakers being a super team and even the Bucks, you know, being relatively stacked with, you know, their top three. If you have Embiid and then like D'Angelo Russell as your number two, you don't you do not feel good about that. Um, and, you know, like. It would they would get good depth, right? Like depth matters. Malik Beasley might be underrated. He's a great three point shooter. Obviously, all those guys fit on the court together perfectly. But you know, you you lose a lot of defense and all that. Um, and like you're saying, it's a tough fit. And if you're Philly, I I don't know if you can do that. Like I really I just don't think you can come to the fans and be like, yeah, we got D'Angelo Russell. And Malik Beasley for for mm-hmm. you know someone who is formally um, and with like pretty good reason like one of our franchise cornerstones in Ben Simmons. Right, I, I think you need another piece. Maybe that's Jaden McDaniels. I mean, maybe maybe you really try and and try to get Anthony Edwards uh, out of out of Minnesota. I, I don't think they would do that. But right, I mean, if I'm Philly, I would be extremely underwhelmed if the keystone asset that I'm bringing back for Ben Simmons is D'Angelo Russell. I mean, and you talk about the defensive drop-off. I mean, that is about as drastic as it gets. You're, you're going from yeah. maybe the most versatile and, and you know, most ferocious, like, defensive, quote-unquote, guard in the league to one of the worst, most lackadaisical defenders in the NBA. I, I think whatever, whatever upgrade you're getting in terms of fit on offense would not be worth the dramatic decline in defense. And, I mean, D'Angelo Russell also has not been able to stay healthy for the most part right. throughout his career. And, and you're, you know, Tobias Harris is about as steady as they get, but Embiid, you got to pencil him in for at least 10 to 15 absences, if not more. Um, that's a guy that anytime he hits the floor, you're worried that it's something severe. 
And this is also a team that doesn't really have a ton of depth uh, all over the court. So, I mean, I, I think if you if you end up being resigned to the fact that you can't flip Ben Simmons for a star, I, I, I don't hate the idea of trying to get, you know, one keystone piece and then like two or three other guys who are at least rotation players. Because right now, I mean, you take Simmons out of the equation. It's, I mean, is Jake Milton playing 30 minutes a game? Is Tyreek Maxey? you know, playing 30 minutes a game that there's not a ton of depth on this team. And, and it gets, it gets even thinner up front. I don't, I don't think you want Andre Drummond doing more than just kind of the Dwight Howard role from last year. Yeah, exactly. And this is, you know, it, this is kind of the problem where they, you know, their, their best player, their star player, Joel Embiid is 27, which is early prime essentially like, um, and with a history of knee injuries, you know, you kind of have to pull the trigger on like some win now moves. You can't do, you can't be like accumulating picks and like you know, taking shots on like young talent. Like you have to kind of just go for it right now when you haven't beat at this level. Um, and like you mentioned, yeah, if you're, if you're not, you know, if Simmons is holding out for as long as he's holding out, yeah, it's just going to be a lot of shake Milton, Tyrese, Tyrese Maxey. And you know, they're the 76ers are just, again, they're not a deep team. Um, you know, they only got so much out of Thibault last year. Cork Maz is just, he's whatever. Um, like they grab, you know, Niang from the jazz. It's like, it's all lateral stuff that they've been doing. They're just kind of shuffling the the bench. So they definitely need like a legit number two guy. And like, we keep going over. It's just, it's, that's not easy to find for Ben Simmons at this point. Cause what other team is like, yeah, we're trading our number one or our number two guy for Ben Simmons. It's just mm-hmm. a lot of other teams are like, well, we have our guy in the building. We know he wants to be here we think maybe their upsides are comparable. Like, why would we even right. take the chance on this risk? Like if you're, you know, this isn't a perfect one-to-one example, but if you're the Thunder and you have Shea, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, like there'd be no way you would even consider trading Ben Simmons for him. Because if you're the Thunder, you're like, well, we have SGA, we'd like him. And maybe long-term, SGA could be even potentially better than Ben Simmons. Like they would never do that. Yeah. And I feel the same way about the Kings and like De'Aaron Fox. Yeah, I, I never liked the Fox one for the Kings. And the reason I feel like that's still on the table is because it's the Kings and I could see them doing that. And it would, I, I think, be kind of disastrous for them. But but yeah, it's a good point. I mean, for either of those teams, you know, you, you, it's a lateral move at best, right? You know, like you're not, I don't think if you're Sacramento, you you swap out Fox for Simmons and all of a sudden you're a playoff team. And, and certainly the same for the Thunder. Um, it's it's just a really, really strange situation. And, and again, it goes back to, the fact that Simmons is a really strange fit and and in the right situation, he could be really good. Um, but, you know, on top of the the concerns about the lack of the jump shot, the lack of aggression, you know, confidence issues, um, all that alone is is enough to to raise some red flags and trades. But then when you raise the fit problem on top of it, um, it it's kind of easy to see, you know, why his value has deteriorated to the point that it has. So I, I think this is all moving toward an eventual probably early season trade like you and I have maintained all along that it's going to come out of nowhere one random Tuesday morning. And I I still think that's where it's headed because it's now as public as it can be. All the information is out there. Simmons is fully prepared to, to wait this out. He's, he's a clutch sports guy. They, none of this is really surprising and it doesn't really seem like Philly has been able to gain any leverage. If anything, the Sixers have probably lost leverage uh, since the end of the playoffs. So I mean, at some point, one of the two sides is going to have to cave. And I, I think, I don't know if this is the right way to phrase it, but like Simmons has already caved as much as he can. Like he's he's prepared to hold out and he's prepared to leave money on the table. That, you know, now it's kind of, the ball is kind of in the Sixers court at this point. Like Simmons has has made his declaration and by all accounts is going to stick by it. 
now it's just up to when the Sixers want to accept one of the several offers that are likely on the table, but clearly at this point just aren't all that appealing to Daryl Morey. Yeah, I I think there is still like there's got to be something like I still I'm kind of holding out hope for like the Ben Simmons for Bradley Beal trade. I I think the Sixers are, too. (laughs) Right. Like, that's the one people have been ignoring because Bradley Beal keeps being like, I want to I want to stay in Washington. And the Wizards are like, we don't really want to give up on Bradley Beal. But I think that's one in, in theory that makes sense. But. I don't know. Part of the issue, too, is that Ben Simmons isn't like exactly a super young. He's not like a prospect anymore. He's 25. Right. You know, like we're not talking about like uh, someone who's you have to you can't if you're an actual rebuild, you can't really take on you could take on Ben Simmons. But like you that would accelerate you like you have to start really trying to make the playoffs at that point. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, yeah, it's it, it's really impossible to say how it's going to play out. I, I, I think Minnesota is rightfully the favorite to land him. I mean, a, a team like that. Certainly makes the most sense. One that's like in a rebuild, but also has some pieces and could conceivably convince itself that that adding Simmons accelerates that. You know, it, it takes a team that I think is really trying to take that next step, not necessarily a team like OKC uh, that that is you know totally fine kind of being in this rebuild zone for a while. Uh, I want to move on to the Pelicans quickly before we we, we do. Who would you rather draft? But not ex- I was going to say it's a bizarre story, but not really. I mean, if you if you kind of been following the tea leaves around the Zion situation, uh, not, nothing that came out of that that article uh, on the uh, New Orleans Times Picayune website on Tuesday um, or excuse me, on Wednesday. It's really all that surprising. Uh, essentially, you know, the gist of it is uh, David Griffin is in some hot water as the GM of the Pelicans. Zion Williamson has not been extremely communicative uh, with David Griffin or with the organization or with his teammates even. Um, there's some family influence, which, which dates all the way back to high school with Zion. That, that's apparently still um, you know, very much in the picture with him now in the NBA. But man, this situation, I, 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 I don't want to say like that the Pelicans have like completely mismanaged it. I mean, they certainly have to some degree. Um, but I mean, to, to potentially be kind of in the same boat as they were with Anthony Davis, and now another generational prospect comes through, you know, several years later, and you're at risk of not even signing him now to a second contract. And and that's an idea that's been floated out there for a while now, you know, at least the last six months to a year. And man, after reading that article today, and, and as we move toward this season, like that seems more and more realistic that Zion could be a, a quote unquote pioneer on that front as far as not signing the the automatic rookie extension that virtually everybody signs. Yeah, I mean, the two, whenever I hear stories like this, the two things I think about are, you know, what you brought up with the Anthony Davis situation and how the parallels are, it's it's kind of hard to believe. I mean, it's happening on a much earlier scale, right? It's much more accelerated with Zion than it, than it was with Anthony Davis. There at least was some hope, like, two seasons in. That, for, well, Anthony Davis wasn't that great as a rookie, so there wasn't that pressure immediately. And also, like, on, um, I think it was lottery day, I can't quite remember, but there was that clip where Zion like walked over to the Atlanta Hawks like podium, I think on lottery day and was like clearly upset that he didn't get drafted yes. by Atlanta. Um, I'm upset that he didn't get drafted by. Can you imagine Trey Young and Zion Williamson? Um, yeah, I, uh, I I think Zion has some connections, you know, with guys around his age and probably would have loved to team up with one of those guys. And, you know, it's it's hard to blame New Orleans. Like, that's kind of the point I was trying to make, I guess. It's like New Orleans has has at least made several efforts to try to improve this team, but they they just haven't really come to fruition. Yeah, you know, I, I think losing Drew Holiday in retrospect was probably not worth the package that they got back. 
uh, even though that's going to bring a ton of draft picks in the future. Like the way this is going, like when, when those draft picks come, you know, vest essentially, Zion might not even be on the team anymore. And that was kind of the whole point was we can continue <laughs> to grow this team around you over the next decade. And I think Zion, you know, under the table is like, I'm not, like the Magic Johnson meme. Like, I'm not going to be here. Right. <laughs> yeah. In hindsight, I'm sure Holiday is like not, that looks pretty bad now. It's terrible. Yeah, because they kind of really like now they've been stuck with, you know, like yeah, Lonzo was good. It's like now they have Devonte Graham and Nikhil Alexander Walker as their backcourt. Like and when they Sarah could have Ransky. had Lonzo and and Kira Lewis and Sagaransky, Josh Hart. When they could have had Lonzo, Drew, and then you still have Ingram. You have Zion. Um, yeah, man. Like I, the Stephen Adams thing was that that made no sense on paper. That That's was the a, worst of them all. It was a really, there just have been some truly just bizarre moves to come out of that front office. And I know that being a GM is harder than, you know, people, a lot of people, everyone likes to pretend it's easy, but um, it's just, it's hard to look at this roster and, you know, none of those Bucks draft picks are going to be great. And it's just like, where's the, you know, where's the, you know, first round victory in the playoffs upside coming from? Yeah, I mean, the the holiday trade and the Davis trade are yet another example of almost always the team giving up the superstar loses those deals, right? And and oftentimes, especially recently with the amount of picks that have been involved in some of these trades, you know, think like the Paul George trade as well. Um, you know, it's kind of tempting to say like, wow, I mean, the amount of assets coming in here, like maybe it is worth it to lose Anthony Davis or lose Paul George or lose Drew Holiday. James Harden, same way. Like it's it's never, ever worth it. Like you... If the Pelicans could do it over, they would have Anthony Davis starting alongside Zion Williamson, and it would be like one of the best front courts in the history of basketball. And, you know, I, I, again, I, I don't want to blame the Pelicans too much because I do think for as as short-sighted and just kind of bizarre as some of those moves have been, they're also put in a really tough spot where it's like, all right, you got this guy, but clock's ticking right now. You better be good. And you have to be constantly proving to this guy that he, you know, that you're worthy of him playing for you. And I, I don't love that that's kind of how the NBA is turning that like contracts don't really matter anymore. You know, there's it, 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 like, I don't want to say like all oh, loyalty doesn't matter. Like obviously that the team owes something to the player, the player owes something to the team, but the, the latter part of part of that seems to be deteriorating pretty rapidly where if you're someone of Zion Williamson's profile, like there's really nothing keeping you with an organization. Like if you, if you don't have like this personal sense of loyalty, there, there are a lot of avenues to to getting out of there, even when your contract indicates that, you know, maybe you're you're two or three years away from something like that. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's just what happens when the money is so big, you know, and it's like you can't I can't there's no one to blame for that. I mean, the NBA is one of the most popular sports in the world. You know, it's basically 50 50 between the owners and players like this is just what happens when the revenue of an entire league goes up and the money becomes completely out of control with, you know, <laughs> the average person like yeah. you know like we were talking about ben simmons earlier you know he doesn't show up to play games and either he gets fined or the 76ers just don't pay him he's already made 50 million dollars in his career like what does it matter to ben simmons that, uh, that that is a problem when the player forfeiting game checks can just say like i have enough money it's not it's not that big of a deal like the system is is at least flawed at that point yeah, like I have a $10 million house and $40 million in my bank account. Like, what does it right. matter to me? I'll, I'll make it up over the next 10 years. Yeah, Zion's already made $20 million in two years. Like, it doesn't, you know, mm-hmm. um, and I'm not saying this to, like, you know, count other people's money or whatever. This is just the reality of the situation. 
And, you know, obviously, like you mentioned, there are other revenue streams. You, you get paid to make an Instagram post. You, you know, you, what shoe, uh, you know, a shoe company sponsors you, all of that. So, yeah, I mean, the players are like way bigger than the organizations. It's not, it's not even close at this point anymore. So, yeah, maybe Zion will take the qualifying offer. You know, I mean, the pressure is just on the organization, partly because it seems so clear from the outset that he didn't really want to be in New Orleans in the first place. It wasn't like he was even super... I guess, neutral about it. If anything, it's been the opposite. It's like, clearly he doesn't want to be there. And now he's, you know, he's really playing his hand to try to force the Pelicans to do everything possible. He's like, you, you need to pull out all the stops to woo me or else I'm just gone. Cause I don't even really want, I don't want to be here at all. Well, and the problem is they're out of options, right? I mean, what's, what's, yeah. what, what, what could they do now that Zion is like, would, would satisfy him? I mean, I assume he doesn't want them to trade Brandon Ingram. It's not like they have like this magical, you know, trade to acquire Giannis or Damian Lillard sitting on the table. Like the, the roster is what it is at this point. And I, I think a lot of what you said is, is really fair. Like the, the players have vastly outgrown the organizations in terms of importance, in terms of dollar value. Um, and even, even when it comes to like legacies, I, I don't think it's, yeah, I, I think it's now very far from like, you know, I, I want to win the Lakers their 20th championship. It's like, I, I'm worried, like how many championships can I win? It doesn't matter who's on my team necessarily or what team I'm winning them for or how recently this team has won a title or even like where this team is located. It's like, where, where can I, you know, kind of better myself, I guess, for my own legacy, which, you know, I, I'm not going to fault anybody for doing that. If you have the option, you absolutely should. But I think it's a, it's almost an unanswerable question for the league of like, how do you quell this machine that you've, you've kind of built, you know, like it, they, they work so hard to market these players and make these guys, you know, such a big deal in the faces of the league and the faces of their franchises that I almost feel like it's, it's swung too far in that direction to the point where it could end up being detrimental to the league. Yeah. I just don't know how you fix it. You know, I mean, they're going to have to, right. it's just some of this stuff is probably going to get addressed in the CBA, but I mean, how much are the players? I mean, the players probably aren't going to back down from any of this just because, you know, why would they? And yeah, exactly. I don't know how hard, like the money is so high, you know, the money has been, I think, partially uh, everyone's just been getting richer because of the way these players are being marketed this way. Like that's, I think, what's made the league so popular is that, you know, it's the instant highlights on Twitter and, you know, mm -hmm. people don't care as much about the teams, um, you know. So I, I don't know what you do in situations like these. I think, you know, we are going to see a lot more of I think we're just going to continue to see a ton of roster turnover a ton of teams, you know, kind of doing like the quick on the fly rebuilds going the route of like OKC or Houston, where it's like, you know, you have to just fully commit to the tank. Hey, we'll take on every bad contract in the world. We'll waive these guys. We'll send them somewhere else. Give us draft picks, you know. Um, and so I don't I don't know. And you're right. Like the Pelicans, you know, I guess you could try to trade Brandon Ingram, but. I, I I don't even know like what his value is at all at this point in the NBA. And I think, you know, <laughs> I don't think you want to start trying to trade Zion at this point, because that's just that would be almost too depressing, I think, as an organization to consider, even if long term, you know, could end up being the better thing to do. I just. Well, well that was going to be my next question to you, because I was talking to James, James Anderson about this today. And that's that's what he brought up, like half jokingly. But he's like, look, like if he keeps going this way and Zion is reportedly, you know, not talking to the organization, like it's, it's certainly not trending toward him happily re-signing. And even if he does like Anthony Davis did, what, what's to stop him from, you know, using his, the, the immense amount of leverage that he has, that even if he signs a five-year 
super max contract, what's to stop him from demanding a trade, you know, a year into it or two years or three years into it? Like, you, like signing him to that contract doesn't really mean anything. Like, it, it's a, a an immediate kind of sense of relief. But I, I think you're right back on that cycle of if we're not good next year, you know, even though the the the, paper, the piece of paper says that we have this guy for four more years, you know, what that actually means continues to deteriorate year by year. Right. Yeah. And then I I don't even know what you do. Are you just are you, you just rebuild it? You trade both him and Ingram like you, you trade Zion to OKC for all their picks. Like, I don't I mean, he's the single most valuable trade asset in the league. But the problem is, if he indicates to you that he's for sure not signing, then teams are you know, other teams are, are maybe a little bit less apt to give up the farm for this guy. Right. And this is kind of like, you know, there's almost like the Ben Simmons situation where it's like he has not it's it's. Not exactly like that, but Ben Simmons is like, well, I want to go to these teams. Now, he doesn't have the control that Zion has, but, you know, Zion could be like, oh, I'm not taking the qualifying offer. You know, you trade me to Oklahoma City and I'm, I don't want to live there. Like, I'm not yeah, going right. to, you know, uh, I'm not going to sign an extension there. So, yeah, I mean, he's he is probably I don't know if he's the number one trade asset. I mean, I, you know, that might still be like Doncic or something, but given his contract, like the fact that he's still on the rookie contract. He has the most leverage. He might have the most leverage of any player in the NBA, aside from, I don't even know, LeBron. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, LeBron still probably has the most, like, control, I guess. But I, I think at this age, if yeah, the, the, maybe he's not the number one trade asset. I mean, I, I think Giannis and um, Luca are probably ahead of him. But he's, he's right there. I mean, he's in the conversation. And, and he's younger than those guys. So it's, it's you know, he's he's on that number one tier, certainly. But, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, it's even if they wanted to trade him to OKC for SGA and seven first round picks, like, like even if Zion had signed the contract already, you know, what's like, he has kind of this like unspoken leverage of like, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not under contract. I don't have to, I don't always have to try my hardest or like, what if I don't show up in shape? Like there's other like subtle ways that he can exert leverage outside of the contract. Yeah. Yeah. And I think other, you know, you still have to be concerned as an organization, like his injury history. There's, I mean, we've barely seen 80 games on his Zion. Like he is, this is one of the most kind of bizarre beginnings to a career of any, you know, like essentially number one, you know, top profile pick that I can remember, you know, starting with like the, you know, just his fame overall. And then the, the, his injuries and the bubble and the short off seasons. And then he basically was healthy and was averaging like 30 a game. And, um, It's it's out of control. If there's one thing we appreciate here at Rotowire, it's making good decisions and even more so making the right decision. I have an incredible offer for you with Rotowire's newest partner, WinBet, the premier digital casino and sportsbook app. WinBet is now the exclusive sponsor for Rotowire's fantasy podcast. WinBet brings you all the latest action with a user-friendly interface, money line bets, Boosted parlays, over-unders, round robins, live betting, and so much more are at your fingertips. Want a break from sports betting? Head into WinBet's digital casino and take a spin on roulette, double down in blackjack, slam the slots, or try your hand at Baccarat. WinBet is currently available in six U.S. states, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia, while rapidly expanding nationwide. At WinBet, the possibilities are limitless. WinBet is currently offering all RotoWire listeners a risk-free bet up to $500 on your first wager. All you have to do is download the WinBet app right now. That's WinBet, W-Y-N-N-B-E-T. WinBet, the exclusive partner 
for RotoWire's Fantasy Podcast. All right, so all this leads me to ask you, uh, if you're coming, if it comes to fantasy drafts, these guys are, are right next to each other in our rankings for, for 8-cat Roto Leagues. Would you rather draft Demontis Sabonis or Zion Williamson? <laughs> uh, I was actually going to ask you about Demontis Sabonis one. Do you, so do you want me to throw my third name in there? Absolutely. Uh, Jimmy Butler. Um, so I think I would, I would go Sabonis, Zion, Butler in that order. Sabonis, Zion, Butler. Yeah. So I, I'm going to, I'm going to end up BKC draft the Raz Jam, which I think, um, is that football or baseball before? I can never, they do a ton of drafts. Anyway, um, I drafted Jimmy Butler. And then I think after my pick was Sabonis, I think I would take Sabonis first. I mean, his, they changed coaches and all that, but I think Sabonis's role is just so cemented. Um, on that team, you know, he's such a good passer. He's improving as a three point shooter. Um, you don't have to take him off the court cause he can shoot free throws. Well, all that. Um, so I guess Butler and Zion for number two, that's tough for me. Cause they're both, you both kind of worry about their injury concerns, right? Butler's older. He's got the Thibodeau miles on his knees, but he's got way more steals upside. Um, you know, he was like the number seven player in fantasy last year per game, partially because of those steals. I think I would take Butler um, and then Zion. So I'd go Sabonis, Butler, Zion. Okay. Um, I still have some concerns about, again, Zion's injuries or his, I guess his knees. And um, I'm a little worried about like still his free throw percentage. I know mm-hmm. his free throw percentage improved, but um, it would, I great. mean, yeah, to be above Jimmy Butler, you know, Jimmy Butler is probably trending down. Obviously, Zion's up, but it's borderline. Um, you know, I think I think the main argument for Zion over all these guys would be the Pelicans are desperately reliant on him to be great more than the Heat are reliant on Butler um, and the, the Pacers are reliant on Sabonis because those other guys just have yeah. more help. Yeah, and part of the reason Sabonis was like on another world at the end of the year was the Pacers were completely decimated by injuries and including him. I mean, he was kind of in and out, but he yeah. was still like when healthy, he was putting up insane numbers. Um, but you know, Miles Turner is perpetually banged up. Brogdon's perpetually banged up. Lavert is, is always been right. in and out. Um, so it's very possible that that scenario repeats itself. I mean, I, I, I did think it was interesting. You know, I, I mentioned talking with James about the Zion situation. He, he said, he's just going to try to not touch Zion, you know, unless you can, can really get a great value on him, which is, is pretty unlikely. And I, I don't know if the implication is, you know, is there is there a possibility that this turns into Anthony Davis, you know, his last year with the Pelicans where, you know, he just it just kind of gets to the point where if the Pelicans get off to a slow start and the, the relationship between Zion and, you know, the organization and David Griffin continues to sour. Like, is there a scenario where, you know, he's he's sitting out games or there's a, a phantom injury or something like that? Yeah, the sort of like Zion market is really kind of all over the place. So like if you're, yeah, if you're in a redraft league, you have to at least, you, I, th- I think having James concerns are fair. So you probably feel better about having him in a, in a keeper league. You, you know, you feel better about like having his rookie card in your hand. You feel better. Like you feel bad about, you know, you're not gonna feel good about the, the Pelicans. If you're betting they're over under, you're going to be kind of scared off by that whole situation. So yeah, I mean, Zion long term is obviously good, but this season there are there are some concerns 
you know, I think that are that are valid there. Would you rather draft Rashawn Holmes or Joseph Nurkic? Um, that is a tough question. I think I would rather have Nurkic. I know he's been banged up and he had a bad year last season. I think part of that was him being banged up, but he has so much more upside as a player. He's proven to be an above average passer for a big man can average almost four assists a game. He's proven to be a good defender. His offensive game is a little more varied than Holmes, although Holmes is so dominant around the basket. His uh, field goal percentage is high, but you know, the, the, the trailblazers just are not a deep team. I think he is extremely crucial to their game plan. There were points two years ago where he seemed like he was more crucial to the game plan than CJ McCollum. Um, so I, I would just go Nurkic. I mean, I'm, you know, I might be higher than Nurkic on a lot of other people, mm-hmm. but he, he clearly, you know, uh, this is this is a strong bounce back opportunity for him, but I can yeah. see why you, you feel a lot safer picking Holmes. Yeah, I think you you said it perfectly. I, I mean, it's it's Holmes. You know, free throw percentage is a, a big asset with him having a big man who basically shoots eighty uh, percent, although not on like the highest volume. You know, two and a half to three attempts per game. That's big. The blocks are big, but no, you, you're right. Nurkic has the upside, and I I do feel like he's due for at least one healthy season here. Like the last two have just been complete disasters. And even when he came back last year, I mean, he was playing like 20 minutes a game for a lot of that time. And, you know, they don't they don't have the same depth this year behind him. Like if and when he's healthy, I think he's closer to 28 to 32 minutes a game. And and even though I feel like some of his stats can be a a little bit empty calories. I mean, we have him down projections wise for like, you know, what, 14 and a half points, nine boards, three and a half assists. 1.2 1.2 steals, 1.4 blocks. And and he's not a terrible free throw shooter. He's not great, but you know, 71% uh, for a big man is totally fine. Uh, I'm with you on Nurkic. Yeah. He's, he's shown some, like in the bubble, he was playing out of his mind at points. Yeah. Like he clearly still has it. Um, yep. So it must be a health issue. Uh, would you rather draft Donovan Mitchell or Julius Randall? Oof. I have, I have a Randall one as well uh okay. but we'll, we'll save that one it's, it's a little bit different um man that's tough i i mean part of me is expecting some regression for randall right it's just a matter of how much and I, so you know so much of what made him valuable last year was he didn't miss any time and pretty much everybody else missed time so he he jumps a ton if you look at total value versus per game value but he, i mean he's also gotten better in like each of the last four years progressively it's just hard for me to think that he has another level to go up beyond this. Like if he can just replicate last year, you know, if you, if you take him like 30th overall or 25th or whatever, and, and he puts up the exact same numbers as last year and plays, uh, you know, like 80 games, you're thrilled with that, right? Like you're, you're not expecting him to, to get any better. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Oh, um, man, that's tough. That's so yeah, tough. This... I, I, I do think I would take Randall. And again, this is, this is a classic, like who did you take with your first or second pick? Um, and that maybe dictates you know, a positional need, but in a vacuum, I, I still think I would lean Randall. I would too. I think this is a situation that a lot of people will find themselves in in the early third round of drafts or late second. Um, you know, I because I think I'm with you. You know, Randall, um, they have so much more help this season. Maybe you know, there's some improvement from Barrett potentially. You have Walker coming in. You have Fournier coming in. Those guys can handle the ball. I still think they're going to run a lot of stuff through Randall. I mean, I, I knocked down his 
projections the other day, like last week, and he still came out. You know, we have him projected 26th. Um, and we have Donovan Mitchell um, projected 35th. 35th yes. Um, and Mitchell, too. I mean, talk about someone who, you know, has stepped up in the playoffs. Like Mitchell's playoff performances have been out like insane. Yeah. Now, whether that translates to the regular season, I don't know, because the Jazz are just a regular season machine at this point. They have enough depth. They have enough, you know, they they don't need Donovan Mitchell to score 30 every night. Um, so I think I think I would I did go Randall. I, I you know, when I was drafting in this in this draft, because um, I think even if he does, I think his downside is pretty comparable to Mitchell's n- normal season and maybe upside. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think with Randall, like th- there's a chance that everybody around him stays a little healthier and they just, they just, they have a ton of contributors. Like they're, they're really deep. Right. Um, and I, I think there's a chance that they just share the load a little bit more. You know, it's, it's not even regression necessarily. It's just like, we're not ending every possession with Julius Randall fadeaway 18 footer well, that was going down at, at an alarming rate last year. Um, so I, I think there's a chance he takes a slight step back, but yeah, with Mitchell, it's just how much of a step forward can he take? Because He's essentially had the same season three years in a row now. And and last year he upped the assists a little more. I mean, if he could be like six, six and a half assists or, you know, closer to a, a steal and a half per game or closer to 47% from the field, you know, then, then we're talking, you know, that then, then you, maybe you would consider Mitchell over Randall, but I, I still think Randall is the safer choice at this point. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Would you rather draft D'Angelo Russell or Buddy Heald? <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Wow. 
Hopefully this is not a decision you have to make. I think, man, um, I think I would rather go D'Angelo Russell. Don't feel great about it, obviously. Um, but, and this might be draft dependent. You need threes, you draft healed. Um, but I don't know, man, D'Angelo Russell, he is, the, the Wolves don't need him to be great as much as they did like last season, because, you know, theoretically Anthony Edwards takes a step forward and Malik Beasley is available and they have, you know, they have some other ways to generate offense. Um, but you know, they're still going to put the ball in, in Russell's hands and basically have him be a playmaker, right? Like that's going to be his role on any team that he's on. If he's playing 35 minutes a game, even if he's playing 28 minutes a game, you know, if they, they trade him somewhere and he's like a super sixth man, like he's going to be controlling the offense um, when he has the ball. So I would just rather take the higher usage at that okay. point. But obviously I understand if you're in a head to head league, you maybe rather draft, you know, healed if you're, um, going for like a three pointers right. build, but yeah, I would, I would take Russell. I think I'd go healed. I, I think he's a little safer. I, I love the the high volume threes and, and Russell's a high volume three guy himself, but still healed is, is like one more three pointer per game. Um, he's, he's in that elite territory, you know, with Curry and Lillard, both these guys are, are potential, you know, trade targets, guys who've been in the rumor mill for a long time on that front. So, you know, that, that also has to be considered, but I, I just think health wise, I mean, Russell, Russell's becoming a pretty big liability in that yeah. regard. And and Heald has, has really not been. Um, even with the trade stuff hanging over both of them, I, I think I would favor the guy who I can just bank on. You know, if, if I haven't if I haven't drafted Curry or Lillard, like being able to get a guy who can like, at, at least is in their neighborhood in terms of made threes, uh, being able to shore up that category with like the 65th pick is, is a pretty nice luxury. Yeah, these are like six round guys. I, I'm going to, you know, like, I've said it before on this podcast, but I'm going to probably just try to be more aggressive than I have been in past years of just like, once you're past pick five, I'm not really going to think about injuries anymore. Yeah. You know, like if I'm not going to think about like if Porzingis is on the board with the 60th pick, I'll just take him. I don't care. Sure. Um, is the upside high enough? You can always stream guys. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So this one for you, would you rather draft Chris Paul or Chris Wood? Okay. okay. Was that Christian just to get two Chris's? Yeah. Okay. Sort of, but they're close to it. They're close to each other in yeah. the rankings and in my draft. They were drafted back to back. So Well, as a hint, who went first in the draft? I I honestly don't remember, but okay. I'll tell you that I drafted Christian Wood. I guess okay. too. And I think you made the right call. I would also go Christian Wood. I think I, I I mean, unfortunate injury luck last year. I also don't think the Rockets were in any position to you know, get him on the floor more than he had to be. I, I think they were fine with him being injured, you know, on and off um, and, and just, you know, losing as many games as possible. Not that that mandate necessarily changes this year, but I, I think there's a little bit, you know, now that you have Jalen Green in the fold, I think there's a little bit less of an obligation to lose games. So I, I think there's a chance that he plays quite a few more games than last year. And I, I still can't shake the notion that Chris Paul is just this like Iron Man who misses one game a year. Now, you know, like that's not that's not how this is supposed to work. Like he was he was like the most broken down player in the league three years ago. And now he's only eating plants. And as he's you know, he's 36 years old and now he just doesn't miss time. Like, I I don't know. I I think at some point that's going to come back around. And I think if nothing else, you know, Phoenix is now a team that is a proven finals team. You know, whether, whether they deserve to get there or not, we can we can argue about that all day. But they were in the finals last year and they are now expecting to get back to the finals. 
And that means that you're probably not playing Chris Paul 33 minutes a night. I mean, he was at 31.4 minutes per game last year. I, I think that could dip, you know, he could dip closer to like 30 minutes a game this year. I think, you know, you could run Booker at point, you brought back campaign. Um, yep. they, they have options. So there's, there's really no need to push him in the regular season. And I, I think as last season demonstrated, like it, it's all about getting to the finals. Like, I, I don't think they're going to make this massive push to, to get the one or the two seed like they did last year. They might be good enough to just be in that realm anyway. Um, but but I, I think this is more of a kind of careful load playoff management season for Chris Paul, where even if he doesn't get hurt, I, I don't see him. You know, I, I think I see him missing a little bit more time just for rest and maintenance purposes this this coming year. Yeah, I always thought the story is funny, like he went vegan and he's really, he, you know, he's basically never gotten hurt since. And just my yeah. question was, like, Suspicious. was he not eating vegetables at all before? Like, yeah, was this just, just a situation? Yeah, was this a situation where he was basically just like eating pizza every day and like yeah. breakfast sandwiches? Like, you know, it's, it's, um, it's hard to say because like Dwight Howard is, has subsisted on only candy for 15 years and has really not <laughs> been that injured. He had, he had the back issues, but he, he's been pretty healthy. He's eating like Skittles and doing hot yoga. And <laughs> that's been his that's been his routine for the past like, the two years. Exactly. Um, yeah, I would I would go with Christian Wood, um, too. OK, OK. Um, well, let's go back to Randall. We, we don't have to spend too much time on this because we've already discussed the Randall side of it. But uh, Julius Randall or Nikola Vucevic? Randall. Um, I think this I actually now that you mentioned this, I do think that. Uh, Vucevic was drafted. He was drafted pretty early in my league. He might have went closer to Jimmy Butler and Demarius Sabonis in my league. But um, yeah, I'm just worried about Vucevic's usage a little bit, kind of with everything that Chicago has done. Like they're still they're still really shallow. I think you know they have like the four main offensive pieces and DeRozan, Ball, Levine, Vucevic. Two of those guys should be on the court at all times. Um, but you know, I mean, he's he's someone, too, that hasn't been like the pinnacle of health either. And he's on the other side of 30. Like off, he's on the best team of his career, right? Like this is the best team Vucevic by has far. ever been on. So in, in yeah, by far. So in theory, you know, I could see him falling down to like 17 points a game, 16 points a game. Like, I'm sure he'll still be a great rebounder. There will be opportunities for him to pass, although the ball won't be in his hands as much. But I think we could see a pretty significant dip uh for Vucevic so you think he's the the Chris Bosch of, of this Chicago Bulls <laughs> I, was, I don't want to say super team but uh team yeah I mean you know it's it's tough to say because you know Lonzo is such a, a low usage player at least from a shot attempts perspective yeah. um but yeah I think he takes the biggest hit compared okay. to his previous role I mean it actually is kind of similar because Bosch was just like running the the Raptors right um, like Vuce was running the Magic yeah, it actually is uh, extremely similar. But, uh, you know, Zach Levine, LeBron James, DeMar DeRozan, <laughs> Dwayne Wade. I don't know. Um, all right, what's your next one? Uh, would you rather draft Anthony Edwards or C.J. McCollum? Mm. Yeah, th- this might be the biggest like spread in, in rankings or projections that we've had. I, I want to know what happens with the Simmons trade first. If he goes to Minnesota and they clear out you know, let's say they, they clear out Beasley and Russell, uh, even with Simmons being there. I, I think that ultimately is a win for Anthony Edwards. But I, I think I'd still go McCollum. I mean, there's there's the the repeated kind of foot and ankle issues that he's had, um, you know, have, have really, really impacted him these last few years. But I also think back to like how dominant he was for those first 15 or 20 games before he got hurt last year. 
Um, and, and he still looked pretty good afterward. Wasn't wasn't quite on, on that kind of run, but um, I mean, before he went down, he was. I'm trying to bring up the stats now. It was only 12 games, but he was at 28 points, four and a half rebounds, five and a half assists, 1.5 steals, 47% from the field, 43% from three, uh, hitting 4.9 three pointers per game. Yeah, he completely like revolute. He completely changed the way he played. It just became a super high volume three point shooter. Yep. Um, eliminated some of his, you know, uh, you know, the the mid range stuff. Uh, yeah, I went McCollum here. This this happened in my draft. I think Anthony Edwards is being overdrafted. I think he he went pretty similar to his ADP on NFPKC, which is around like forty or fifty or something like that. that is, um, that's high. Then. Yeah, this is a situation where I think McCollum's downside is Anthony Edwards' upside. Yep. And, um, you know, in those cases, I would rather just I would rather take McCollum, who's been like a top 50 player for like his entire career almost. And um, I think Edwards, you know, given what Edwards showed in the in the second half of the season, I think he has a I mean, he was incredible. I think he's a really strong career in the NBA ahead of him, but um, not so much so that I would take him ahead of CJ McCollum yep. in a redraft league. I don't know if it's because there were some question marks about him coming into the league or if because he plays for the Timberwolves, but th- there's still like this prove it aspect with Anthony Edwards, right? Like, you know, Malik Beasley was suspended when, when Edwards went on that run, Russell was hurt. He's coming off the bench toward the end of the year. Like, I don't know. Like, I, I still want to see him do it again. Like, I, I think he certainly can. And I would bet that he probably will. Um, but as of right now, the way that the war or the Timberwolves uh, roster is currently constructed it's just hard for me to see him taking a massive leap just because they have too many mouths to feed. You know, like he, he's not going to, he's not going to get like 25 shots a game, when you have Beasley Russell and towns on that team. Um, and again, that could change. Those guys could get hurt. There could be a trade, but, but as currently constructed, I, I feel like he's still, he's still like a year away or, or maybe two years away from, from making that massive leap just by virtue of, of where he stands in the pecking order. Yeah. I think best case scenario for him, they play him a ton with the other bench guys. You know, yeah. like they they pull he's the first starter they pull and then they bring him back in when the rest of the starters are out. And he just kind of gets to go crazy in his, you know, 15 minutes that he's out there completely alone. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, could easily average 20 a game. OK, this is the last one I have. Uh, it's, it's not the most exciting, but I, I think it's it's strangely become a an actual debate that I think people are going to have to have around uh, pick 90 to 100. OK, would you rather draft Nerlens Noel or Mitchell Robinson? um yeah this is tough i think i would just still take mitchell robinson just because of you know the i think the knicks would still very much love for mitchell robinson to to reach that potential that he clearly showed in previous seasons now i think i think he was very good i think I, i think tom thibodeau did a good job of you know kind of reining him in in terms of don't sell out for blocks you know, if you have no shot of blocking it, just box out, go for the rebound, play smarter. Um, he's still an insane athlete. I think maybe he gets his blocks back up a little bit. Um, I think Noel, Noel definitely has higher defensive upside, but um, you could draft these guys back to back, honestly, with like, you know, picks 98, 100 and just kind of roll with that. Like as your center crew, I think is actually a realistic way to, to do it. But I still go with the guy with more upside who I think is Mitchell Robinson at this point. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, neither of these guys are extremely healthy. Noel, I feel like, is perpetually has a sprained ankle. We wrote a note on him before every single game last year that he was questionable. Um, and Robinson, obviously, has missed a ton of time as well. And he, he only played 31 games last season. I, 
as with Robinson though, it's like the big appeal, his rookie year was the block rate, right? I mean, it was like borderline yeah. historic, like Manute bowl level block rate. And not only have his, has his blocks per game dropped pretty dramatically by about a half block per game each of the last two years, but his block percentage was, was 10% as a rookie, which is unbelievable. Any, anytime you're in double digits, that's crazy. Uh, it was 8% as a sophomore and then just 5% last year. So, you know, maybe he's becoming a more disciplined defender and like a better overall player. But for fantasy purposes, the attraction was, look, if this guy's playing 30 to 35 minutes a game, he might be averaging like four blocks a game. Like that was, that was the projection. Um, you know, that was the projection based on his rookie year. And he's just, he just hasn't quite been that same guy as a shot blocker. And, and obviously the minutes haven't, haven't increased quite the same way that we thought they would either. Um, so I, I don't know where I would go on this. Like it, it's, it's a really tough choice because especially that late in the draft, you don't necessarily want to be taking the safer pick. Like if you can get a guy with Mitchell Robinson level upside with a 90th pick, that's pretty appealing. But at the same time, Nerlens Noel had a block rate that was 3.7 percentage rates, percentage points higher than Robinson's last year. So it's like, I don't, I honestly don't even know who's the better player at this point. <laughs> That's a good point, actually. Yeah, I think Noel is the better per minute player at this point. So maybe take Noel. I think Mitchell Robinson will start. It is, it is a tough choice. Like, I, I, you know, you could probably convince me either one, um, not married to the idea of Mitchell Robinson. I mean, the, okay. the new Mitchell Robinson is Robert Williams, right? Yes. Like, that's unquestionable. Yes. Yeah. He's someone Okay, who... you got any, you have any left in the holster? No. Okay. Well, I want to finish out on, on one more. Let me, let me, let me okay. cook one yeah. up here on the fly. Oh, man. Well, wh- first of all, where are you at on Kawhi Leonard? He's, he's in the top 90 in our rankings, which I don't love. We have him at 25 games projected. We might have to knock that down a little bit. Um, but, like, at, at what point in the draft are you comfortable – knowing what we know right now, and hopefully we'll know more once camp opens and we get some comments from the Clippers, uh, but it is Kawhi, so that's that's far from a given. At what point would you be comfortable, you know, assuming you have an IR spot or two available, at what's, what, what what point in the draft are you comfortable taking Kawhi? Um, I don't think I would take him in a standard league. Uh, you know, maybe like pick... If I'm in a 14-teamer... Or a 16-teamer, maybe my last pick. I mean, because part of the issue is, you know, like we haven't projected for 25 games, but that doesn't take into account that a lot of fantasy leagues end with a month right. to go on the regular season. So he like he may actually come back like two games before your fantasy season ends. So to me, he's, pra- he's practically undraftable. However, if you're like in a 14-team league with two IR spots, yeah, just like take him with your last pick if you you know, if you, if you want to, like, I wouldn't do it. I don't think, but, um, I, you know, cause I would just rather, I would just rather take almost anybody else with like a modicum of upside. Like I would just rather, I would rather take Pogoshevsky. I'd rather take like Taylor Horton Tucker or, you know, like Deandre Hunter or something. I'm, I'm worried about you and Pogoshevsky. I feel like by, by the time the regular season rolls around, like we're going to be doing He's... that. We're going to be doing a draft on like the eve of the regular season. You're going to take them like 30th overall. So he's he's the perfect example. Of, he's like the he's like the new barometer of like last you know, like flyer guy I pick like one ten. Like yeah. he is kind of the barometer at this point. Um, mm-hmm. There have been other in other years there have been you know guys who have filled that role, but he's uh he's the name right now for sure. He is. All right, man. This is fun. We'll we'll do at least another one of these uh, between now and the start of the regular season. Uh, maybe a couple. Maybe get Shannon or, or James involved and. Uh, 
kind of throw some of these at, at, at the wall and, and see where everybody stands. I, I think this is a really good way to, uh, like you said, evaluate some situations that are, are, are already presenting themselves in real life. So it's fun that we're starting to get draft season underway. I know DraftKings launched their best ball contest uh, this week. You're already involved in, in the Raz Jam. We're, we're talking NFBKC uh, with Shannon uh, earlier today. It's exciting stuff, dude. We're, what, five days away from training camps opening? Yeah, I think the first preseason game is October 3rd, right? Nets October Lakers. 3rd. I don't know who's playing, but I do know it's October 3rd. I think it's Nets Lakers. Okay. Well, I mean, that's that's going to be a star-studded affair. I, I'm sure everybody will be playing full compliments <laughs> a minute. You know, I, I heard someone say that, and I'm just thinking, I'm like, there's no way everyone plays in this game, right? There's no way we actually get the matchup. For the preseason opener, I would rather watch, like, Thunder Magic than <laughs> Lakers Nets, right? Like, why why even do that? Like, save, save that one for opening night. Yeah, I think that's just to remind people that the like the people who are diehard football fans. Yeah, it's like, by the way, NBA exists and these are the teams like I think it's also tricking people who maybe don't follow the preseason into thinking that those guys are going to play to boost <laughs> yeah. the ratings. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll chat again soon. Uh, as always, check out our content, rotowire.com slash basketball. Uh, we're putting new stuff up every single day, essentially, between now and the start of the regular season. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.